What's going on, guys? Welcome to uh, the final episode of 2021, episode 59. Uh, we're going to do a end-of-the-year wrap-up pod. I have a few guests on uh, just to discuss all things real estate and business that happened in 2021. Our first guest today is Courtney Ronan, my friend Courtney Ronan. Introduce yourself, what you do, and who you are over at Titleless. Sure. Good morning. Good morning. Happy New Year, everybody. I'm Courtney Ronan, a proud, proud longtime friend of Tak Yamaguchi, fellow Lehigh University alumni, and of course, real estate aficionado, or I try to be. I'm a senior vice president of business development. I work in sales at TitleVest. And here I am covering right. the front desk today uh, because our reception team is out sick so i wear many oh, hats boy. here yeah wear many hats here um in addition to sales i also co-manage the sales team uh we have about 21 people who specialize in residential and commercial title insurance uh what is title insurance super super quickly talk i will demand my own episode in 2022 but <laughs> long story short title insurance is a form of indemnity insurance that protects lenders and homeowners from any sort of financial loss sustained from a defect in a title to a property. Um, typically in New York City, let's say, or really anywhere, you're getting title insurance on both a refinance and also on a purchase. Uh, this is typically paid for in New York by the buyer, and it is a cost that is paid at the closing table. And the most common claims or defect in the title would be back taxes, liens, conflicting wills with various heirs, et cetera. Uh, it is a one-time fee paid upfront, different from homeowner's insurance, but we'll get to that at another time. But as for me, uh, I am here to help my friend, Mr. Yamaguchi, with his end of year wrap up, so. Yeah, tell the audience, where do you live uh, and where have you oh. lived around New York City? Where have I not lived? Uh, I currently live in Brooklyn on the border of Cobble Hill and Carroll Gardens on President Street. Uh, prior mm. to that, I was in a, let's call it a street easy micro neighborhood called Columbia Waterfront District, which is essentially the Battery Tunnel. Uh, that was my mm. first foray into Brooklyn. I've been there about four and a half years. Before that, I spent many years on the Lower East Side, um, Delancey and Ridge Street. And before that, a brief stint in the Upper East. And before that, the one and only Murray Hill. Murray Hill, our favorite. Former stomping grounds <laughs> of uh, all of us here, probably. <laughs> I remember that, that Rich Street apartment was actually really fun. You had that really cool, uh, it's 208 Delancey now. There's the new development. So the backyard from that old apartment, yeah. you, you're not going to have any views, but you did have that balcony that overlooked uh, a slice of that Williamsburg Bridge, right? Looking yeah. east. Yeah, so that was a really nice, nice, nice apartment. Good, uh, good party, good party apartment. Favorite Murray Hill establishment. Do I have to say the wharf? <laughs> R.I.P. <laughs> R.I.P. The wharf. Um, yeah, I mean it's a classic. It's a classic bar. You know, it was a classic bar. Uh, all right, so let's get right into it. Uh, so the first category is uh, the biggest winner in real estate in 2021. Now I I'll go first, just to kind of warm it up, and we'll kind of rattle these off. Uh, talk about one, you know, one to two minutes per question. So uh, my biggest winner uh, in real estate is the Brooklyn luxury market. Uh, the Brooklyn luxury market condos consists mostly of condominiums and townhomes. 42 contracts for properties asking $4 million or more were signed this 
quarter, which smashes the previous Christmas week uh, record at uh, the 17. The record was back in 2016. As you know, last year, last year was pretty much almost nil. So, you know, it's hard to compare last year with the COVID surge. But, you know, to top that off, uh, the total sales volume for the week uh, came in at $360 million. So I'm sorry, so I said quarter, but it was actually uh, this month in December. So $360 million signed just in the month of December. You know, but that, that's just uh, a figure that is, I think, a combination of, you know, the the wealth coming back into New York City, confidence coming back into New York City, and obviously uh, the the jobs and the money and, you know, the flight to quality in the capital. Uh, there's still a lot of confidence in that in Manhattan. So, okay, so Courtney, go ahead. That's actually even more of a specific winner point than I was going to make. I was going to say the New York City and of course, really everywhere, residential real estate markets, confidence that people have had in these markets since, of course, you were allowed to show properties again, maybe June of 2020 is astonishing. Uh, you can, <laughs> These days, you cannot even find something to buy uh, without going over the ask and Lord knows what other concessions that you're going to be making. It's been incredible. Uh, such a humongous difference, even from a few months prior to that. And the last year and a half or so have blown expectations out of the water. Um, even commercial has really come back up, but nothing to the degree of the residential real estate market. Um, and in Brooklyn, especially being in Brooklyn during COVID, you know, nobody missed a beat. Yes, the shopping and the experiences were different, but real estate wise, it was excellent. I would right. say I was the biggest winner <laughs> in real estate during COVID <laughs> because I managed to get a new apartment with outdoor space below market. But 100%. that was in the summer of 2020. And those 100%. days are no longer here. That's that ship has sailed. Yeah, we're looking at uh, you know, it, some of the apartments in Brooklyn, if you were, let's just say a renter, you had 30, 30, 35 to 40 to 50% increases in rent throughout Brooklyn. So yeah, it's, it's, it's even on the rental front, it's been kind of crazy. So, you know, the winners for the landlords, obviously uh, not so much for the tenants. Uh, the, and then as, as far as not so much for the tenants, this leads into our next category would be the biggest loser in real estate in 2021. Uh, you mentioned the office market. I'll go, uh, I, I actually want to speak more on that. Uh, the Manhattan office market, actually, my client, he's a professor at CUNY uh, City College, New York. Uh, and his graduate students are actually responsible for, partially responsible for developing these reports uh, on the office markets uh, in New York City. And the most recent report came out of the CNBC, uh, CNBC article published last month in November, uh, about 28% of New York office workers are, are, on, are back in the office. So we're still looking at about a 70% vacancy rate in New York City. And yeah, are they back once a week, twice a week? Yes, of course. But you know, overall, the 70% figure is quite large. The article didn't State, I'm going, to, I'm going to read quote directly from CNBC here. Employers expect that 49% of office workers will return on an average weekday by January. Uh, when, and then, you know, on cut to that, you know, with Omicron not being as, as robust as it is today, and we're recording this uh, late December, uh, you know, no one knew how quickly Omicron was going to spread back in November. So, you know, that survey of 188 big employers in Manhattan, you know, updated to what it is today, I would say maybe pushed that figure back, not into January, but more, maybe perhaps probably into like the springtime when seasonally, seasonal trends generally with COVID indicate a downtick of, of infections uh, in, the, in the spring and summer months. So uh, that's that. Uh, only, according to the revenue report, only about 25 to 30% of the 
uh, normal numbers of workers are coming into the office still. You know, let's just say if you break that into numbers, 60,000 people on the streets for lunches, haircuts, shopping, uh, shoe shines, hot dog stands, et cetera, et cetera. You know, compare that to 180,000 office workers that are usually in the area prior to uh, the pandemic lockdown. So that will be the biggest loser in real estate, in my opinion, is this year is still uh, just the general office markets in New York City. It's been, we're, we're seeing similar, I mean, actually something that I was going to say a bit later what, about the, you know, biggest surprise in real estate is class B office space, particularly mm-hmm. is making yeah. a decent comeback, mm-hmm. uh, which is nice to see. Uh, yes, yeah, some of it has been repurposed, but some of it is business as usual. I mean, I'm here today. I've been back three to four days a week since August of 2020. And half of our office has been in since March of 2020 because we process regular paper closing packages. Uh, I'll get into a paper closing package later, but yeah, it's especially in this area. We're on 42nd street between park and Lex. It's yes, it was quiet for a time, but most people are well before Omicron, most people were back. So who's the loser? The biggest loser, obviously, Zillow's iBuying program. There you go. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. Um, which Talk I think, about that. Which I think was a good, listen, it was a good win for some, but mm-hmm. it was not a good win for Zillow. Obviously, they pulled out. They faced steep losses, et cetera. And I think it goes to show, I mean, I'll, I'll loosely quote Leonard Steinberg, but you need an agent. Yeah. You need an agent to do so many of of these necessary improvements and holding your hand throughout the process. So personally, that's what I felt would be the biggest loser. I could go the easy way out and say retail, but retail, as most people would remember, if you thought about it for a second, was suffering even before COVID. So yeah, the rise of Amazon. All right, good. Uh, Biggest real estate surprise of 2021. You know, so I, I, you know, I, I thought about this. There's just so there's so many surprises, and, and you know, the one thing that the biggest thing that sticks out to me is uh, you've met my friend Levy Maya from Florida. Yes, uh, he he's actually one of the Compass uh, founders of our Florida Miami office. But the strength of the Miami, uh, Florida Miami, South Florida, uh, the real estate market there, and then the strength of of Aspen and Vail, Colorado real estate, uh, and also Denver, Colorado. I think just the pandemic, the start of the pandemic, people just started looking at other options, not within the city, but it's not even just that. Yeah, of course you want a bigger home. Everybody wants a bigger home, but what, what makes Miami and Aspen and Vail so uh, attractive as, as far as, you know, living the appreciation, I think a couple of things, you know, DeSantis kept school and businesses open throughout the pandemic, Uh, income taxes, zero. It's amazing how fast Miami has become a tech hub. There's a race between New York City and Miami right now to for who will become the, the first crypto-centric city in America. And yeah, I mean, as much as I love Eric, Eric Adams, I don't know if he has the people around him to make that goal actually achievable based on the flight to tech capital that, have, that has already gone down in the last 12 months in Florida. So, you know, that's my biggest surprise. The strength of the Miami market, my, my, my buddy successfully bought his house and then nine months later flipped it for you know, almost uh, a million dollar profit so that you could get into a larger house. I mean, no. these things just normally don't happen in the normal market. So uh, that's my surprise there. I did touch on, on Colorado a little bit, but same thing, you know, almost $1 billion in sales 
in Vail in the third third quarter uh, of this year. If you think about Vail as a town, and I'm, I'm I'm sure you've been there, but if you drive by, it's, it's literally a little stop on a highway, yeah. and there is a little community there. Yes, but it's not you know a billion dollars in a small town is just it's so impressive. And then uh, you go to Aspen and the entry level single family homes is seven million bucks. Like what? Where is this money coming from? You know, it's just very. It's just astonishing what the pandemic has done into these secondary markets. And I'm very, very happy for our friends and dear colleagues that are having a career year uh, brokering uh, homes out there. Well, so, okay, that back to you, Ronan. What is your biggest surprise? Wow, well, I will absolutely echo that. Anything in a secondary market, anything in the second home market, uh, what surprised me the most, this was happening a bit, but the extent to which it happened during COVID was, let's just say people skipping the traditional first time home buying of a condo or a co-op. Because as you know, once the market came roaring back here, so then did the prices. And some people, depending on their work and the requirements that they were facing, skipped it entirely. And now they're buying their first home in Cold Spring. They're buying their first home up in Garrison. They're buying their first home even further up in the Catskills. Uh, people, you know, I know people who went up as far as the Adirondacks. Um, they were buying out in East Hampton, you know, something out in the Springs that they can get for under a million dollars. And they come in to the city when they need to come into the city. And this is people from all different industries and careers. And it, it was very, very, very surprising to me that the faith-based leap that people made going straight to what you would refer to as a secondary market and sort of sometimes skipping New York entirely. I will say now I'm seeing some people who did skip to the secondary market are, you know, either renting in New York uh, and it's affordable to do, you know, they can, if they can make it work, that's great. Uh, and some people are flipping to your point, their secondary homes, and now they have enough money to generate for the down payment on a condo here. Right. Uh, so it's yeah. been absolutely surprising to me the amount of flexibility that people were willing to engage in to make home ownership work. Switching gears, biggest business surprise. One, I don't know if you heard of OpenSea before, but it's the rise of NFTs, rise of cryptocurrency, hmm. uh, the the rise of Bitcoin prices. A lot of people are going into it, and I, I you know, also just kind of want to be in the part of this early phase of you know the blockchain, and we've actually had. Gary B on uh, as one of our panelists at the uh, Compass Retreat in Austin last I month. I saw that. It's incredible. And yeah, it was incredible. But you know, he talked about you know the blockchain is here to stay. Title will eventually be on the blockchain. So this is something that you probably want to you know research and look into eventually. Uh, but you know, the rise of the OpenSea is a, a is a platform that enables artists to put their art and tie it onto the blockchain and then sell it onto in the open market and. Uh, I bought a couple NFTs just for fun, uh, just to be part of the experience. And um, I think this is an interesting market to continue to look into will be blockchain and NFTs. I definitely, to, to your point about blockchain, um, our parent company, First American, who's one of the largest underwriters in the country, they were already executing a lot of transactions and data on blockchain. We're one of the bigger uh, data holding companies in the real estate and underwriting space. So we've actually been using blockchain for quite a while. And yes, oh. absolutely in, you know, non-New York City markets, having title on the blockchain is actually very feasible and very helpful. And, you know, 
originally you would think, oh, that's going to put something like a title company out of a job, but really it's going to make data collection a lot easier. It might be putting search vendors or uh, people to that degree sort of on the edge. However, from a title company's perspective, it, any way that we can collect data that makes it much easier, we're very open to because it makes the closing process much more smoothly for someone like you and your clients and our right. attorneys. Um, <laughs> I would say definitely the biggest surprise uh, or the trend in real estate that I thought the pandemic might assist with is uh, <laughs> the five hour in-person closing has not gone away. Oh. Uh, much to the dismay, <laughs> much to the dismay, at least in New York City. Much five to the dismay hours, of our, huh? our attorney friends. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, it's five hours. Is, five hours is brutal, and it's not even brutal. title, right? It's we're talking about you know, will, will the funding clear? Review the re-review the loan before the loan clears. It's uh, the managing agents and their scheduling and their availability. I mean, there's so many different wheels. It's it's definitely an area that definitely can be, um, I think, improved on in the future. Now, on to the next best new tech in real estate. I personally, speaking of Gary V, want to revisit what he was saying, and he's you know, content creating is is going to be paramount for any small business owner, Absolutely. not just in real estate. So uh, I don't want to say it's a rise, but a, or or I'm sorry, a best new tech, but TikTok videos uh, are definitely something that is going to be on the rise for professionals that are currently, let's just say they're not in their teens, but in their 30s, 40s, 50s, that they're probably going to have to adapt to because in five years, I think that's where more eyeballs are going to be over Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Yes. I would piggyback off of that. And I was going to say anything that gets a potential buyer a clearer picture of the property without necessarily just being able to, to be there. Mm -hmm. So I forget the name of the, uh, the floor plan company that had a huge, huge surge in usage at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, you can make the 3D models of the floor plan of the home. Um, Zoom, Microsoft Teams, any sort of video you know, interface that people are able to see things without being there. I mean, we've done, I can't tell you the amount of transactions that we've done of a significantly high dollar value where they, someone bought it sight unseen. Best new trend in real estate tie that together, you know, development of videos on Instagram and TikTok, you know, mm -hmm. content creators are now real estate brokers and vice versa, right? Real estate brokers are now content creators. In the past, it was the older gatekeepers that will probably hoard their Rolodex on their paper, on their paper index cards uh, and, and keep their contacts close to their chest. Those older gatekeeper brokers will probably fade away in the next 10 to 20 years. I think it's a brand new world for content creators. Uh, they have the ability to capitalize and monetize on the content that they own, that they've created within their sphere, within their circle. And that's kind of the, the direction that I think the business is going to go. Right. I couldn't agree more. It's actually something, you know, my mother is a broker and she's of the baby boomer generation. And, you know, we speak often about how you have to keep up with the trends or, or you're out. And I think where you and I especially are in kind of that middle to old millennial space is we are the next generation. Wait, I'm, still my mid, I'm still in my mid thirties. I don't know what you're talking about. Yes, that's, that's, that's right. You didn't just have a birthday. Uh, You're still at the wharf. 
You're still <laughs> ripping uh, ripping picklebacks at the wharf in yes. 2007. Yes. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I mean, you have to keep up. There really is no excuse anymore for sticking your head in the sand and, you know, stopping your feet that, oh, people, I'm going to rely on my reputation. I'm going to rely on this. I mean, it should go without saying your reputation is everything and you're already in this business and you're not going to be successful without a stellar reputation, but you need to have everything else really to a T that yep. showcases you and your things. That's right. Uh, and then the last and last and not least, worst trend in real estate. Mine, I'm going to go back to what you said earlier. Is I'm going to elaborate a little bit more on Zello. So uh, the the con consumer Zillow is a consumer facing site. It's you yes. know brokers don't use it, but uh, what the, what the consumer likes about Zillow, in my opinion, is the Zestimate tool. For the Zestimate tool to show, let's just say your home online being ten percent below what you think it should be, that's going to turn off. That's that's going to turn off a lot of the the users and and the users of the right. website. Zillow, I think, did with the Zestimate was accuracy was never a goal. If you use that to really buy a home, it creates a risk on the buyer side. If Zillow uses their own algorithm on the Zestimate to buy, to I buy a home, it creates a risk on Zillow. Zestimate itself, I think, is real estate clickbait. Their algorithms were never designed to accurately, really truthfully value a home. I don't think it, their, their algorithms can sustain that, the type of accuracy. I don't think any machine can sustain that with that type of accuracy because you cannot put a value on the amount of cars that drive the block, the noisy right. neighbor next door, the, you know, the Lian type of uh, backsplash that the, the kitchen had used. I mean, there's just so many factors in valuing a home. Uh, the algorithm is not, as, not sophisticated enough to actually assess the value of a house. And when the users use it as uh, an, an estimate to either sell a home or put an offer on a home, it really creates risk on their end. So I think that's one of the worst trends in real estate. It absolutely is. And it, it affects, I think, every part of the process, you know, even the financing. Uh, right. I, I was going <laughs> to, in addition to Zillow and his estimate and just the reliance on a non-human intangible uh, sort of expertise. I mean, it, it hurts on the bank end too. I mean, and let's say another worst trend is now all of the paperwork that's required. Uh, to get a loan and to bring to a closing, that's <laughs> unfortunately always going to be a problem moving forward. Um, just, yeah. you know, time kills deals TKD. and so do unrealistic expectations. Absolutely. And, you know, I see things on Zillow and what you're not going to know, and this actually, you know, Levy might speak to this a bit. My future in-laws just bought a place in Florida and what they didn't factor into was the age of the roof impacts how much you pay in taxes mm. which i did not know and they did, I did not, not know that and guess what zillow doesn't have anything to say about that right zillow doesn't know that the roof cost is going to be a hundred thousand dollars and it needs to be replaced yep. next year yep and that's yeah, so. uh impacting your assessment uh, yeah going into valuation on a, on a web platform is very risky business it's tough the amount of onus of responsibility that's been on real estate agents throughout all of this, you know, what is demanded of a real estate agent, both on the listing and the buy side is so astronomical. And everyone I know has risen to the challenge and then some, but and maybe it's good, you know, a lot of it I thought could be sort of the worst possible scenario and really adding to your, you know, now you have to keep track of COVID forms and things 
things like that. And now you can you know, refuse to show someone something if, if they're unvaccinated. I think that's coming down the pike. But aside from that, maybe it's the worst trends or sometimes the good trend because it's going to take people who just aren't qualified out of the business. Um, I think Can't save them all. COVID 100% made a real estate agent a real estate advisor. You are someone's real estate agent. You're their therapist. You're their driver. You're their, you know, friend. You're their foe. I mean, it's really, it's a lot for people to deal with. And you especially have certainly, you were already all of that and more for people. So maybe COVID in a sense was almost a blessing because now it's really tapped into your talents and the other agents and brokers such as you. Last year was a very, very tough year for New York City real estate brokers. But yeah, this year, definitely for those that made it through last year, not even myself, but our friends and colleagues included, definitely was able to step up to the occasion and really capitalize on this market. So Courtney, where can people find you? What's the, what's your, you got an Instagram handle you want to plug or? Yes. Yes, I do. Uh, People can find me at Ronan the Barbarian and that's B-E-A-R. I'll send that to you in the chat. Oh, and you can okay. find I'll me, put that in the show notes. <laughs> you can find me, Courtney, at TitleVest.com. And call me, email me, DM me anytime. Sounds good. Courtney, thank you ABC. so much for your time. Always be buzzing. Justin Rubenstein, my friend, fellow Compass agent from New York City. Justin, give you a minute to introduce yourself. But uh, Justin and I are in the same office. Uh, we broker properties in Manhattan and Brooklyn. Just had a pr- pretty fun year. I mean, we you had a, a really nice house in the Hamptons this year that I got to visit. Did, did an awesome bike ride from the town of East Hampton all the way down to Old Montauk Highway to Best Pizza, then down to Old Montauk Highway to Gurney's and back. I mean, what a journey it was. Great to see you, Talk. Thanks again for having me. Always, uh, always delighted to spend time with you. So Justin Rubenstein, I've been at Compass for several years, been in the industry for 17 years, focus on uh, residential luxury uh, new developments and condos and co-op sales in Manhattan and Brooklyn, as well as investments, uh, always uh, working with investors, doing 1031s, buying and selling some buildings, sold a big portfolio this year in Brooklyn Heights, uh, and I'm always happy to help out investors. That was a really fun, uh, that was a really fun trip talk, and I think that it's possible that that was the... um, finale trip in the scout uh, that we took with the bikes in the back yeah because that was towards the end yeah that's right that was right before the transmission went transmission is back up and running but i've got a five-week-old baby and i've had the truck for nine years and i think it might be time to hand it off and let someone else uh enjoy the scout uh, the, for some the spring, time, the, the spring market is probably a good time to sell something like that, right? You know, you got the, I think you so. want that convertible life. You got those yeah, rich yeah. New Yorkers that want to want to experience the Hampton life and drive a car <laughs> like that around. It's like it, it's it's a good opportunity. It turns fifty next week, so right, right. Um, I think I think the stars are aligning, and it it might be time to to let somebody else enjoy it. So mm, you know, anyone okay. that wants one, yeah. All right, I'll keep my eyes if you if if any listeners uh, want a car like this. Uh, maybe I'll plug the uh, the photo of it in my show notes. <laughs> like there you a, go. A secondary car market on my podcast notes. Um, right. you, know, you and I are fellow Virginians, right? Where are you from? Absolutely. Richmond, Virginia. Yes, sir. Um, okay. Went to the University of Virginia and have lots of friends from Northern Virginia, where you're from. Mm-hmm. But yeah, born and raised in Richmond, Virginia and been in New York 
actually next week will be 20 years for me. 20 years. Yeah. What a time. Uh, you can follow Justin on, on Instagram. I'm going to plug his IG handle uh, as well. We're almost at the end of 2021. So I wanted to get together to talk a couple topics. The biggest winner in real estate in 2021. My pick for the biggest winner, and it is hard to choose from because there have been lots of winners this year because it's been such a oh, wild yeah. ride. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. But my pick for the biggest winner in real estate in 2021 is the neighborhood of Dumbo. Oh, yeah. Okay. Elaborate. So Dumbo has been doing really well for a while. They've always kind of competed with Williamsburg. They opened up a uh, connection to Brooklyn Bridge Park, I guess, a year or two ago. And they've had some nice buildings that have come up in the last few years. You've always had 100J there. The Jehovah's Witness has finally sold. Yeah, they finally sold that enormous lot they've been sitting on. And now you have 85J, uh, which is a more Sajmi CIM building. And Mm -hmm. it's a beautiful building. So Mm -hmm. a client of mine was lucky enough to secure a penthouse there. It's mm-hmm. two buildings, multiple roof decks. They've, they've got a 30-foot setback on the sidewalk to create a little pedestrian plaza mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. And then just around the corner, you've got Olympia House going up. And they are transacting close to $2,000 a foot. So if you said a couple of years ago that you'd see transactions nearing 2000 a foot. Now, it's to, to be determined what the, what the total blended average will be on the sale out of that building. But if you told me a few years ago that you'd be seeing prices nearing 2000 a foot in Dumbo, I would have said, well, that would make, you know, that would be a great time to invest in the neighborhood of Dumbo. And people that have invested there have done really well. And I think people that are buying there now are going to have a great place to live. And that neighborhood has exceeded, I think, expectations and exceeded what other neighborhoods in Brooklyn have done in the last few years. And other neighborhoods have had their turn in the spotlight in Brooklyn in the last few years. Williamsburg, obviously, Brooklyn Heights, Cobble Hill, even Bed-Stuy and Bushwick. But I think this year, the big winner was Dumbo. And okay, people Dumbo that are buying there now are going to like it. Biggest loser in real estate. I'll, I'll start first. I was I had Courtney Ronan on earlier, and we talked about the office markets. I think that there's a, several. Lo- I mean, as good as the year was, uh, I think one of the bigger losers in real estate uh, of 2021 is uh, the uh, project going on uh, in West Chelsea, uh, Union yeah. Square West, West Chelsea, HFC Capital Group has the 14 or XI building, uh, which just had gone through a, a series of unfortunate events, uh, even dating back to 2020. Uh, obviously, no one foresaw COVID coming, but that project, if many of you are aware, uh, in West Chelsea, basically right north of the Meatpacking District, that area used to be a parking lot. And uh, HFC purchased it for that lot. The vacant lot itself was, was purchased for, I think it was like $500 million. And it ultimately went into a construction mode probably four or five years ago. But just the time it took and then the timing of COVID uh, probably slowed down a lot of the income coming in for lenders to be repaid. And there, you know, there, there's $300 million of unpaid liens from contractors, the vendors. There was a a word of a fake wire being sent to CIM from HFC for some $20 million that uh, it, it, a lot of weird shady things. I think there was an, a mob tie. I, I don't know if you remember this article, but there was an executive that was alleged to mob ties. Yeah. And it's, I, I just feel like this, this company at one point was one of the most prolific developers in New York city. Kind of crazy to see how badly this project turned out to be. Well, I was so I was actually going to say the same thing. Oh, did I take I mean, your answer? <laughs> that's that's okay. okay. I was 
Yeah, I was actually going to say the same thing because that was a that was a big one this year. I mean, people really liked uh, the idea of that project. You've got the uh, Six Senses Hotel going there. You're right around the corner from the Whitney. You know, I feel like this happens when Bjork Ingels designs a luxury residential project. They're beautiful from the outside, but then you get these these funky floor plans that oftentimes don't make a lot of sense on the inside. And that's a big building. So you've got some great floor plans, but you've got a lot that just don't make sense. Yeah. And I think that was one of the other things that prohibited them from really taking off and getting a lot of velocity in their sales was some of these wonky floor plans. But yeah, that was kind of the one that I was gonna pick as well. I mean, HFC, I, I wouldn't, you know, I don't envy them in 2021. They really had a rough time. Of course, COVID didn't help and no one could have predicted that, but, but that was just problematic from the beginning, sky high prices, asking prices. And that's unfortunate, but I do think it'll reemerge with Whitcoff. And I think there could be some good opportunity there for buyers that are looking to come in and, and be in that location in a luxury building. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And the fact that you and I picked the same answer, this is a, it's a telling story that the, you know, one of the biggest developers in New York city experiencing the, one of the biggest downfalls, uh, something like this happened in 2008 too, you know, uh, who was it? Uh, uh, it was one Madison developer. Um, yes, of course. Had a default. And uh, yeah, and 10 years later, uh, 10 years later, you had a nice building. But yeah, that was right. stalled for several years. I guess I could throw another one out there, which I think this was 2021, but maybe it was even 2020. Multifamily landlords, if you owned, if you owned rent stabilized apartments, you've They're owned them. And if you've operated, right, if you've operated them properly and played by the rules, all of a sudden, the rug is pulled out from under you and you've got rent stabilized apartments that have basically lost all their value. There was nothing you could have done to, there was nothing you could have done about it and no way you could have predicted that. And now you've lost, depending on how many buildings you own, tens of millions of dollars in value just by playing by the rules. Right. So, right. And, and I think as a result, as a result, we'll probably see a lot more defunct older buildings, unfortunately, that has landlords that have no incentive to recapitalize these buildings. So they're just going to, that's right. There are going to be rundown buildings in New York City as a result. All right. That's uh, true. I'm going to let you go first again. Your mm -hmm. best new trend in real estate in 2021. So this is what I, uh, so this is what I'll tell you. What I've noticed over the last, uh, you know, you started to see this about 10 years ago after the financial crisis, and you've seen it more and more over the last five years, and especially the last two to three years. You're seeing smart, young enterprising college graduates move to New York with the intention of becoming a luxury real estate broker in New York City. And that was uh, not something that you used to see definitely a generation ago and really not 10 years ago. People kind of came here and maybe they found their way into it or they fell into it. They were in another industry. But it was pretty rare that you met someone that, as a college senior, was thinking this is what they wanted to do for their career. And now you're starting to see well-educated, smart, enterprising young people that decide this is where I want to make my living and this is what I want to have as a career. And they come out of they come out of school, they get the real estate license, and they want to become a broker right away. And that's good for everybody. It's definitely good for buyers and sellers because it adds competition to the marketplace. Uh, and it's definitely good for companies like Compass. And it's good for people like you and me because um, we're meet, we meet great people. We get to be surrounded by better people. Um, and 
it helps to level the playing field in the long term for buyers and sellers because you've got people that come here that have integrity and that really want to um, make a great living in real estate and have the wherewithal to do it and have the appetite for it and um, are great people to work with. So we're seeing more and more of that, those people coming out of college. And I think that's mm-hmm. a good trend. Yep, no, I, I absolutely agree. Uh, I went to an open house by, hosted by Ryan Serhant's team and McPeak and you know the, the young, young brokers that join. I mean, yeah, they look, they're basically TikTokers straight out of college wearing nice, fancy suits. <laughs> right. And some you of them, that you know, some of ago. them, right, 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 yeah. And some of them still will kind of come in and realize it's not cut out for them. But you are seeing people that are that are coming in and realizing like this is what I want to do, and they're sticking with it and and, and making a great career out of it. Yeah, no, I agree. Good, good observation. Uh, and then last but not least, worst trend in real estate. Well, you kind of hit on you hit on it a moment ago. So now I got to take the other side of the coin, which is <laughs> selling apartments on TikTok. I mean, <laughs> or renting apartments on TikTok. Okay, we get it that it's a great way to get your face out there and it's a great way to market yourself, but conveying to people that this is a smart decision is again, just a bad idea for everybody. It's one way of advertising, but then you have brokers that say, oh, you know, I sold this apartment over TikTok. I, I made that, I did this transaction, putting it out there and getting, you know, getting clicks and getting likes is one thing, but to say you're selling apartments over TikTok and then having people actually believe that it's just unrealistic. So people coming out there, uh, people coming out in the, into the industry and saying like, oh, I sold this, sold that, I did this on TikTok. It's one thing to like watch it and it's for fun. It's really for entertainment, but right. you still have to get out. You've got to go see the apartment in person. You've got to see what the hallways are like. You got to see what the lobby is That's right. like. That's right. And um, that might sound old school, but it's a home. It's not just an investment. It's your primary residence. And I think it's important to see and feel it. So it's great to be able to, you know, watch for fun videos on TikTok. But some of them are just ridiculous too, and some of the people that, that post them, some of the people that post them are kind of laughable. Yeah. So that trend, I don't think it's going anywhere, unfortunately. But sure, I'll I'll count that one as my worst trend. Okay, got it. The the rise of TikTok influencers saying the claiming that their fame is purely from their TikTok, and uh, we won't right. mention any names, but yes, there are definitely brokers right. out there. Uh, Justin, I wanted to wish you and your family a happy new year. I appreciate your time. Go ahead. Uh, where can people reach out to you? How can they? What's the best way to uh, for them to get in contact with you? Yeah, of course. Uh, it's uh, my website's justinrubenstein.com. So oh, you not your TikTok. Find me there. <laughs> justinrubenstein.com. Okay, <laughs> I'll put that in the show notes. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, justinrubenstein.com. Do you have an Instagram that you want to plug to? Sure. Yeah, it's just my name, Justin Rubenstein, and it's R U B I N S T E I N. That one tricks people up. All right, I am here with my friend Natalie Hedden. Natalie, thank you for joining. How are you doing today? Good, thanks. Where are you from? And uh, introduce us. Introduce the, uh, yourself to the audience. Yeah, so uh, like Tuff mentioned, grew up in Toronto in Canada. Went to college in Montreal, Quebec um, for undergrad. Came down to New York for grad school and been here ever since. Um, joined Compass early on, our Urban Compass. Met Talk when we were a pretty small crew of maybe 60 total people at the company. And yeah, just been working. I, you know, don't necessarily specialize in one specific neighborhood. I 
more do all of Manhattan, um, 110th Street down and Brooklyn. Uh, where can people find you, Natalie? Uh, socially on Instagram <laughs> is probably the best platform. Um, Nat Hedden uh, mm-hmm. on Instagram. And yeah, feel free. Follow. <laughs> Give her a follow. I'm going to put your Instagram in the hand, in the notes um, as well. So, you, you know, you were number, were you number 60 at Compass? 60 something. Yeah. 60 something. 60, okay. 62, so 63. the real deal just published uh, the top Asian headcounts of brokerages in Manhattan. Just Manhattan, Brooklyn. Yeah, you saw that. So now we, we have 2347 licenses. So, you know, for your number 60 out of 2347, that's, that's fairly early. Yeah, we were uh, yeah, all on top of each other in a pretty small office back then. I know. Yeah. I remember the, the line <laughs> to the bathroom was like, <laughs> like 100 <laughs> feet long after lunch. <laughs> like, it was the most, it was, like, it was pandemonium. Uh, anyways, all right. So let's jump right into it. Let's go. I'm, I'll go first. So the first line of discussion is, the biggest winner in real estate in 2021. I said a lot of things earlier to, with my previous guests. Uh, my next winner, Bordado Realty in 220 Central Park South. On their third quarter's earnings call, Bordado announced that they had closed sales in 104 of the building's 118 units as of the end of September. There was one more closing I know of in October. So they have, they've actually closed 105 units. I don't know about December. Uh, but they're, they garnered net proceeds of $2.97 billion. Steve Roth is actually a pretty bold guy. I, I like him. He, he, he's actually pretty, pretty vocal in his, uh, in his dealings and his earnings. Uh, but he was quoted in his earnings call that the building was sort of, quote unquote, sort of like winning the Kentucky Derby by 10 lengths. So great job for him. There are several condominium projects that you and I know along Billionaire's Road that are still on the market after three or four years. Uh, some of them in litigation, some of them have infighting within the board. Uh, some of them have sponsor units still uh, not selling. It's it, It's been kind of a uh, quote-unquote shit show, I guess, out there. So interesting project, so completely sold all off-market, virtually no marketing program, and uh, they're almost fully sold out. Uh, every single one of their sales this year have hit the top 10, uh, rec- top 10 list in record-breaking sales. I think it was five or six of the top 10 record-breaking sales in Manhattan. Uh, we're done in that building. So, okay. So to you, Natalie, what do you think? What is your uh, biggest winner in real estate in 2021? So I went a little big, bigger picture than you um, with that answer. And for me, it's townhouse owners and anyone with private outdoor space. I think we saw this in 2020 as well. 2020 through to 2021, some of the biggest winners were people that had townhouses. I think a lot of people who realized they were going to stick around New York City, live in this kind of densely populated metropolis, wanted a little bit um, lower density living space. So, you know, we saw a lot of people, they wanted backyards, they had kids, um, you know, wanted to work remotely, needed multiple rooms and, you know, not sharing an elevator with 300 other residents was attractive to a lot of people. Huge. Huge, 100%. I mean, COVID pushed everybody out. Um, what, what you said is actually interesting. You know, speaking of outdoors, we're not even talking about patios. Like, why is Aspen, Colorado and Vail exploding? You know, the entry-level home sale in Aspen, $7 million bucks. I mean, it's outdoor space, right? Yeah, I mean, those were some of the bigger, if we're going to look at the country as a whole, those were some yeah. of the biggest winners. I think yeah. cities that all of a sudden, you know, people had part-time homes in or second homes in, all of a sudden we're making them full-time you know, primary residences. Huge. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah, outdoor space, definitely. Okay, good. Let's see. 
biggest loser in real estate. So as we know, let's just say uh, Manhattan office markets are bad. HFC Capital Group was what Justin Rubenstein and I, uh, actually, we both talked about that. Uh, that was on our list. My biggest loser, my third biggest loser in real estate, I think is, I don't know, maybe you hopefully, maybe we have the same answer, but it's the Zillow iBuying program. Zillow had a program where they bought a bunch of single family homes and they and their hopes were to flip them after improving them. I actually, a, a client of mine, a friend of mine in Denver, uh, shout out Jessica Northoff for closing, my buddy Mark, he bought one of those homes. And I actually looked at it, I toured it. I mean, the finish is not that bad. Their business model, I, their business model, I think works in an in up market, in my opinion. You know, Rich Barton, the CEO who's done tremendously well over the last few decades, I think this time kind of underestimated that, yeah, Zillow has the, the, the technology and the algorithm and the data, but I, I think he really underestimated the, the niche of, you know, the, the complexities of why real estate brokers exist in our market. Zillow shares dropped about 30%, market cap dropped about nine from, I think mark, they dro- dropped to about 9 billion from the peak. So, you know, they're, cut, they're cutting 25% of their staff this year. Uh, it, they just really underestimated the importance of why brokers exist and dealing with the niche of maybe a noisy neighbor, maybe a leaky roof, maybe the, the future zoning law changes there, maybe the traffic affecting that corner versus the other corner. I mean, there's just so many intricacies. So in short, they wanted to be market makers. They thought that they could make the market with their buy, I, I buy program, but they forgot that you know they don't set the market, we don't set the market. Uh, the property is worth what the public is willing to pay for. And they were unfortunately wrong on that side of the stick. So I stayed in the same vein as my other answer. And for biggest losers, and I'm not picking on anyone here, I think for 2021, some of my harder deals were studio sales. Mm -hmm. Um, Studio owners, look, I mean, they make a lot of sense when you're a single person and you're in your office and then you're at Barry's boot camp and then you're out at a restaurant. (laughs) But when that's not your lifestyle anymore and you're quarantining and you can reach your fridge from your bed and your desk from your fridge and, you know, or you're a couple and you're living in a small space, it's really tough. So studios, I think they were harder to sell than they have been historically, harder to rent than they have been historically. Um, there's still a market for them. And I think some of the biggest winners on the flip side were people picking up studios on the cheap, you know, people who moved out to Connecticut or Long Island and bought a house there, but still plan to work in Manhattan a couple days a week, picked up studios and got some pretty good deals this year. Biggest real estate surprise in 2021. Let's just say that I mentioned this earlier, 220 Central Park South. I mean, they, you know, in the midst of a pandemic, they sold Unit 61 and 60 was 157, I mean, $157 million. That's, it's the biggest sales transaction history of New York. Second priciest home that closed was also in the same building, $66 million. And then uh, the luxury market, to just add to that, uh, there was a, a co-op sale. I re- recall, I'm a big football fan and, and I, I don't like the Jets, but Woody Johnson previously had, or I think still currently holds the biggest co-op sale at $77.5 million. Uh, but that was a, that was like 2016 or 2017. Third biggest sale in New York City was a co-op, and that was Two East 88th Street closing at uh, the penthouse there, closing at 60 million dollars. So, uh, you know, co-ops are obviously the biggest housing stock in New York City, but you don't really see them hit the news lines because they're not flashy. They're, they're not the uh, the shiny new bells and whistles type building. They're kind of like the old guard of New York City. So to see a co-op uh, hit the map is somewhat of a surprise to me. 
A uh, real estate surprise for me, I think, was actually how quickly New York rebounded and how quickly not only residents, but also tourists came back. Yeah. Um, residents came back, I think, before we even really had hardcore back in office mandates. Um, people realized they were coming, they would be back. But even if they weren't going to be back, I think people decided they wanted to live in New York um, and real estate was it was a good time to come back. Um, but we rebounded a lot faster than I expected. I, you know, I expected obviously New York to do well. It, it always does. And a gradual increase in people coming back, but they really all of a sudden came back. Um, you know, and here I am like, this is 31st floor. I'm looking at condos all around me. It was dark. You know, these lights were dark at night mm. and they're all lit up. You know, you, you notice a difference. You see 30% of a building behind you is occupied and all of a sudden it's back to 80 or 90. Yeah, when you can't get a reservation on Resi, open table <laughs> for some of the restaurants, standard restaurants, you, you know, so there's something, something is up. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're finally back. And Resi's actually kind of a business winner if we're talking about New York. No one Huge. booked a reservation for anything until COVID. Yeah, we would just right. you know walk in. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So that that's that's a huge huge winner. Biggest business surprise. My main theme is uh, cryptocurrency, Bitcoin this year. It seems to have exploded. Everybody's talking about it. Mo a lot of people that I have seen on their financial statements, you know, under their assets or other assets, cash equivalent assets, uh, they have either a Coinbase or they have a Robinhood app some sort of cryptocurrency listed in it. I have buyers that are asking their banks to count their Bitcoin as uh, liquidity, which unfortunately is still not there yet. But um, that's the, kind of the rise. A mutual friend that we have that I shall remain nameless uh, recently showed me his cash app app. His, the story was he took out a client to dinner twice back in like 2015 and like 2016. Like just, and every time he paid for dinner, our friend paid for dinner, the client would force him to, to open up the Cash App app so that he could pay in crypto. Uh, fast forward to last month, he showed me the crypto wallet and it was like somewhere towards the north of like $35,000 off two dinners. <laughs> so, you know, the, the trend in cryptocurrency, I think is here to stay. Uh, good for the people that are early in. And uh, I think this is something that, you know, us being in our field, if we're doing financial statements or working with banks uh, and our clients are heavily loaded in that, in that field, something to really take into consideration. Yeah. So you have the same answer as me, essentially. I, I had NFTs. Okay. Um, I think, look, NFTs have been around for a while. They've been all of a sudden widely accepted in 2021. We saw some huge sales, digital artists, graphic designers, like, um, People, all of a sudden, people had been selling art for like maybe a hundred bucks, didn't really care um, about creating prints. He's just a graphic designer and sold something for $69 million this year. Yeah, that's um, right. It's, it's kind of interesting to see that all of a sudden there's now a market for this. People are interested in it. People believe in it. And people are parking a lot of money in it. Do you have any NFTs? I do not yet. <laughs> okay. Best new trend in real estate. I'll go ahead. You, you can start first. What is the best new trend in real estate? So I went super new, uh, New York specific on this. For me, it is Zoom interviews for co-ops. 
I oh, think this okay. is a process that, you know, we can all agree is archaic. The, the board meeting, the buyers sitting down, you know, asking for the bulldogs from Wyoming to be flown in for the interview <laughs> as well, because they want to meet everybody, pets included. Uh-huh. You know, this process is, is, is old school. And COVID kind of forced it to at least move online. And I think it's a lot easier for buyers. I work with a lot of international buyers and having to tell international buyers, you know, be ready to fly to New York at a moment's notice for this board interview. You will not get a second chance. You will not get a second time slot. Like be ready Um, was really tough. And it was especially tough back when everyone was traveling for work all the time. We had to plan around people's work travel. Um, you know, Zoom interviews have made our lives a lot easier, I'd say. And so Do you it's think great. we'll ever go back to normal face-to-face interviews? Uh, I hope not. You know, <laughs> I, I don't even think board Same. members want that. So <laughs> Same. Same. I know. It's like why once you've experienced, uh, you know, a, a good taste, you know, you kind of want to keep that going and not go back to the old taste. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's tough. We, we really did have clients asked to fly two English bulldogs from Wyoming in the middle of summer <laughs> for a board interview. Jeez. A best new tech in real estate in 2021. Do you have a new tech tool or a tech item that you've used in 2021 that you find? I mean, we just talked about Zoom, but... Yeah, so this it's not necessarily new tech, but for us, I would say virtual tours in non-luxury real estate is new. You know, we've done virtual tours for luxury for a while, but for your average one-bedroom, two-bedroom studio, um, you know, you weren't doing virtual tours for those properties um, pre-COVID. And I think during COVID, we really realized, look, like it's safer for people to view properties from home. It's more efficient for everyone if they can view properties from home. And if you see a virtual tour and you love it, great. Come, let's book an appointment. Let's go tour it together. But, you know, first looks can be virtual, I do believe, Um, you know, and we saw a lot of less of that in New York, I think, with the exception of the luxury market. You know, we're not we're not California. We're not doing drone videography in downtown New York. Mm -mm. So this is all new for us. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think in this day and age, buyers should watch the video first. I would almost require them to watch it first just because, A, well, you want to stop the spread. You know, with Omicron going around, why risk it? B, you know, you, it's also a waste of your time if they saw the video like, oh, I didn't realize it was X, Y, and Z in the video. In the photos, I thought it was, you know, mm-hmm. A or B or C. So, yeah, you, you, you hit a good point there. The rise in videography and video tours and virtual tours is definitely a positive trend for our industry, especially in New York City. What do you think is the worst trend in real estate? Worst depends on which side of the table you're sitting on. Um, Mm -hmm. But one new trend that is kind of a funny one uh, that I saw happen a lot in COVID was deal sweeteners. Um, They've been around for a Mm. while, but I've never seen them used so much as in bidding wars during COVID. And so they're great if you're on the receiving end of the sweetener, but they're tough if you're trying to bid everyone out and you don't have one. So things we saw during COVID, um, townhouse buyers in Brooklyn bidding on properties ended up finding out they lost because the uh, next best buyer offered a Jackson Hole house for the entire winter. 
to the sellers. If they oh. accepted their offer, they would get to use their Jackson Hole house as ski. Great deal, nice. sweetener. Um, nice. I rented out a townhouse on the Upper West Side during COVID. And within one day, had 23 offers. Um, and the three top deal sweeteners were, again, a Hamptons vacation house um, huh. was offered. Pro professional landscaping of the townhouse's backyard was offered. The tenants noticed that the backyard was kind of overgrown and whatnot. And they said, look, like I'm a professional landscape designer and I have a team and we could redo this entire backyard for you for free if you rent for us free. the house. For free, for the year. Um, and the other one was an actress from a well-known Broadway who offered backstage passes and tickets for the owners, for the family, if they rented them the house. So, you know, who these won? deal sweeteners, uh, actually none of those deal sweeteners won. Oh, okay. <laughs> someone, ultimately someone, the price. Yeah, someone really blew it out of the water price-wise. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But yeah, I think, look, deal sweeteners, they make it fun but they're tough. You know, if you don't have the Jackson Hole house to offer. Did, did the tough. Jackson Hole house buyer win yes. that deal? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. There you go. Deal sweeteners. Yeah, if you, you have to have the capital in order to get what you want. You got to have the bullets. Yeah, and the creativity you gotta have the to, ammo. you know. So I wouldn't say that's not really a worse trend. It's good if you're on the sell side and it's good if you can offer it to get what you want. But so I like the positive spin you put on the worst trend. Yeah, depends <laughs> on which side of the table you're on. <laughs> it always depends. All right, Natalie, I took enough, enough of your time. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Happy New Year's. Best wishes Happy to years. you, your family, your loved ones for the new year. And for our listeners, I'll put Natalie's uh, contact in our show notes. Final guest, Andrew Georges, my attorney, not my criminal attorney, but my real estate attorney on the Real Talk podcast, final episode, final segment, and the final guest of 2021. Andrew and I have been working together for several years now. You can catch up with him in his original story on episode 11 on the Real Talk podcast. And we also catch up on the COVID real estate market from a legal standpoint on episode 50th. Andrew recently, most recently worked for the largest litigation firm, Adam Lightman Bailey, real estate litigation firm, where he was in charge of closings there. And this year he spun off to create and found his own company, that Andrew, the Georges Law Firm. Andrew, how can people find you online? They can find me at georgeslawfirm.com. Uh, you can Google me. I got a website, um, acj at georgeslaw.com. It's all there. Okay. And you can also follow him on Instagram, Georges Law Firm. George's Jorges, George's with a J. Uh, you could also find him on Instagram, Andrew George's as well. No numbers, no spaces, no underscore. Andrew, welcome. How you doing? Thank you for having me back. Doing it's good well. to be back. Huh? Happy, <laughs> happy Thursday. Ha good to be back. Happy Thursday. Happy New Year's Eve. Almost there. Almost into That's 2022. Right. That's right. So let's jump right into it. Please give me your 2021 biggest winner in real estate. So 2021 biggest winner in real estate, I think it was the pandemic buyer um, mm -hmm. in New York City. People taking on uh, early risk in the pandemic. Look, the, the stats are, are starting to form themselves and show the Q2 2020, the Manhattan apartment sales fell 54%. It was the largest decline in 30 years. 
The median sale price fell 18% to 1 million. It was the biggest decline um, in a decade. There were only, at that time, about 1,100 sales in Q2 2020, the, the, the lowest numbers on record. We were looking at that time, if, I'm sure you remember this, we were looking into the real estate abyss. And savvy buyers at that time saw the shutdown between April and July of 2020. They saw it as an opportunity to find a great bargain during a period of historically low interest rates. Um, so the, that, that were buyers who were already in contract, tried to negotiate price reductions, though some, many successfully did. Um, and then just buyers who were on the sideline who saw that June, July, August, September, October period to take advantage and, and find a, a bargain. Um, and listen, and now that bet is paying out and you see these buyers holding assets that are rapidly appreciating. I've had clients who bought in that period They've done cash out refis. They flipped the property for substantial profits or they're just holding it um, and they have a great asset. So the pandemic buyer that took a bet in 2022 proved to be a winner in 2021 and into the future. And I think that's going to be especially true as the Fed starts to, to ease up and increase interest rates. You're going to see that that bet make only more sense. So the pandemic buyer in New York City, I think, was a winner in 2021. 100% I can agree with you. Okay, what about the biggest loser in real estate? The biggest loser that we're seeing right now are office landlords. 18% of office space in New York City is vacant. Um, that's the highest rate in more than 30 years, according to a report released recently by the state controller. Um, office rents are down 4%. Unemployment as of October was about 11%. It's four times the financial crisis. And that's just the tip of the iceberg, I think. Swipe rates and building management systems dropped about 95% in April 2020. Um, and they've only clawed back about 30% of it. So people are finding their footing in working from home. Um, and it's almost certain that as we move forward that a lot of these office leases are going to come to expire. There's going to be a glut of inventory. So landlords in the city need to think about how do they repurpose these spaces um, and something that people are talking about are converting the, the vacant office spaces into residential use i don't know stay tuned but certainly the 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 biggest um the big the landlord office landlords are taking the biggest hit at the moment i cannot agree with you more even on that as well our previous guests also noted the same the silver lining this leads into our next segment the biggest winner in in business, I'm gonna parlay that. And the biggest silver lining during the pandemic is the flight to quality that flight to quality that we have seen in the office market. So class A buildings like 425 Park, but the biggest building and the one with the most eyeballs and the one that you have also seen yourself, you've walked by definitely is one Vanderbilt. One Vanderbilt is built by developer SL Green. They're almost fully leased out and on a per square foot basis, they are the highest in New York City. So if you think about, okay, you're a company that wants to spend X amount of dollars on rent per year, the office spaces are obviously being used at a significantly reduced capacity. Well, then here comes these companies that are going into SO Green's one Vanderbilt paying two and almost $300 a square foot. The only two units I believe that are still on the market right now is the penthouse. They're asking price is at $322 a foot. The penthouse floor has about 10,000 square feet of availability. So you put that into math, that's $3.2 million in annual rent, monthly rent of 
$266,000, and that doesn't even include any escalation. One Vanderbilt seems to be the one unique property that has positioned itself in a niche market of where quality companies with money still has money will always go to uh, the top buildings. Yeah, great location, beautiful building. Uh, my wife just took me there for my birthday a couple of months oh. ago. Um, oh, yeah, so the, the roof up there. We ended up, the line was too long. We ended up not going up. We had dinner, uh, I guess, on the mezzanine level. They have a, a beautiful restaurant there. Great building. Uh, yeah, and and definitely, I think, uh, a bright spot in, yeah. in all that's going on with the office space culture. I agree. Who's your biggest winner in business, 2021? Yeah, um, nobody in particular in terms of a particular business, but I think companies that were able to adapt to the remote virtual model and, you know, uh, look at look at kind of how the, it's breaking down. A, a survey conducted by the partnership of New York City um, uh, surveyed 188 employers in October of 2021. 8% of office workers are back in the office full time. 54% are fully remote and nearly 40 are hybrid. So the businesses in our industry, right, the, the, the property managers, the institutional lenders, the law firms, the brokerages, who you and I deal with on a daily basis. Commercial leasing you know, brokers, retail leasing commercial brokers. Commercial leasing, all of the above. So mm -hmm. many of them were able to adapt with remote closings, meetings, cloud-based operating systems, right, yeah. that, that they, they leaned into the virtual business uh, operations. Mm -hmm. They've had a much easier time during the pandemic if they were open-minded about it. But there's a lot of businesses that didn't do that, right? And you right. and I are dealing with a number of property managers right now that are not um, committing to a remote virtual environment. So what did we see in December of 2021? We saw a lot of closings get punted into 2022 because they didn't have the bandwidth to deal with these closings virtually, remotely. They wanted to kind of still do it the old school way. You come in... We're going to sit elbow to elbow. We're going to have closings, wear a mask. We're only got people that we need to have. The, P, the, the management companies who adapted don't have those issues. So you and I have a couple of closings that we would have loved to have closed the first week in December. They're not closing until December sometimes. And the clients are saying, well, why is this happening? It's because some of these resistant companies are not, are not kind of playing by the new rules. So the biggest winners, I think those, those companies, those businesses that are saying, Remote is here. Virtual is here. Let's lean into it. Let's try and perfect it. They're the ones who you're seeing kind of taking advantage of the field. So winners of 2021 uh, adaptable companies. Definitely a shout out to the managing agents that have adapted to the virtual model. A huge, huge round of applause to them. And shame on the many, many managing agents that we work with who shall remain nameless <laughs> that have made our lives and our share and the sellers lives and even the buyers as well, just quite difficult. I don't want to say miserable, but definitely difficult for not adapting and not adjusting to the current conditions that we're in. Yeah. And listen, they're not only just property managers, like the couple that I think you're referring to are law firms that act as transfer agent for certain buildings. And it's yes. like the law <laughs> firm is stuck in its way. Right. And oh. it's unfortunate. Like I look at how I, I look at how I practice my, you know, my business, you know, you, you gotta be light on your feet. You gotta be adaptable. I'm completely remote. I have an office, but I, I can, I can work from anywhere. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there's pros and cons to that, but you know, for me, in terms of conducting my business, it's it's invaluable. Like that that I have a cloud-based system, uh, I can open up a computer anywhere. 
you, I could do a closing if I'm on the West Coast. I mean, I'm in New York 99.9% of the time. But if I, if wherever you go, you could do work. I mean, that model is going to have to. People have to figure out operations and systems that that um, that help with that. That's right. Got to be nimble on your feet in business. What is your biggest real estate surprise in 2021? Biggest real estate surprise 2021 is the comeback. Talk. You remember New York was dead. It was dead. People writing about it. It was rough. Uh, April 2020 to June 2020, the industry was literally in a lockdown. You know, everybody in the New York City real estate industry, we thought we'd never be back to business. And, <laughs> you know, everyone was considering finding new work in a different field. But 18 months later, the real estate market's back and it's back with a vengeance. By July, more people were moving back to New York City than were exiting, which for a long time was catching headlines in the other, the other way. Right. And the numbers confirm that value is coming back. Anybody in the industry knows competition is super tight and sellers have leverage again. It went away and it now it's back overnight. And Q3 2021, more apartments were sold in Manhattan than in any other time in the last 32 years. Let me repeat that. Yeah. More apartments sold Q3 2021 than any other time in the last 32 years. That's three times as many sales in the same period from the prior year. 76% more than the same time in 2019 before the pandemic. The sales volume for the period topped $9.5 billion. So uh, people want to be back and the money's following it. So the, the, how quickly we've come back. I thought it would have taken years and years and years, but the market is humming. Uh, knock on wood for everybody who's in the industry. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's coming back. 2008 financial crisis was the worries, the worrisome event of financial wherewithal. Last year's crisis was your life and it was your health. Com trying to compare the two crashes or the two real estate crashes between those two years is very, very difficult. Best new trend in real estate. So the best new trend in real estate I found is the, uh, the sight on scene virtual buyer. Before mm -hmm. the pandemic, I could think on a hand, one hand, you know, a buyer who says, hey, I'm from California. I'm putting in an offer that was accepted and I'm buying an apartment I've never seen. I haven't been in New York in years, but I'm, I'm buying. I mean, I can think of maybe on one hand how many times that happened in my career. It, since the pandemic has started, I'm seeing it more and more. Like it's a fairly common thing where somebody will view an apartment online through a broker virtually, remotely. The, um, there's 3D floor plan imaging that I know Compass utilizes StreetEasy has a platform for that, and the uh, you know how, how much uh, how comfortable they can get with buying an apartment never having seen it. Now, I would have thought also that you'd have then also a buyer who buys based on these three D imaging, and then they have you know buyer's remorse after they close and, and see the place. <laughs> and I haven't had that. I haven't had it. It hasn't happened. You know, and that is a risk. Obviously, when you you don't touch something and feel something, you just buy it off off the internet, but it's worked very well and that it's it's a i think it's a tr it's going to be moving in that direction um as you know as uh new variants come out and people can't travel as much but they still want to be in the market they're, they're going to do that and I, I think it's a cool thing to to be into that's right uh, i think the rise of airbnb and vrbo also helps with people making decisions just on a virtual basis obviously the Agreed. scale Financial scale is completely different, but it does yeah. <laughs> give reps to the consumer on, hey, this is what the virtual tour looks like on Airbnb and you're going to stay here for a week. This is what you're getting and you can't really back out. 
I think that's definitely a, a psychological help in, in the push to getting these buyers to also buy offline, buy just through a floor plan and also imaging and, and through uh, virtual tours. Okay, biggest business surprise. So we did a um, real estate surprise. But do you have a yeah. business surprise? Yeah. So, and I, I'll say it's a pleasant surprise. Um, mm -hmm. You know, despite the doom and gloom that that we were talking about, you know, the effect of the pandemic, uh, the pandemic's effect on office space. Nice to see that in September, Google announced that they're paying 2.1 billion for an office building in New York City. It's the most That's expensive right. sale of a single office building in the U.S. since the pandemic began. Right. So. And that, you know, they also noted that they're hiring an additional 2,000 or so employees in the next few years. So despite the fact that, there, you know, there's uh, unease and concern about the office culture, Google is doubling down on their, you know, footprint. I love it. I think it's a pleasant surprise. That's great. Yeah, it definitely shows the health and confidence of what's to come in the future. And with the 2,000 new hires, that's also going to help not just the residential real estate sector, but that should help the, you know, the lagging numbers that we're seeing in the MTA. There's a whole uh, ecosystem. Yeah, there's, there's a whole ecosystem, ecosystem that comes with that. That's right, that's right. And then last but not least, the worst trend in real estate in 2021. Yeah, the worst trend in 2021. I think the I think what I'm not a, a fan of seeing, the philosophy that just hitting the pause button on financial obligations, for example, rent, is a long-term solution to the pandemic. I understand and appreciate the the, uh, the protections and safety nets that that needed to come in at the very beginning of the pandemic, and we've been still dealing with. We're almost two we're two years in. We're about to start year three, and you're still seeing a backlog of a uh, backlog in the court system, moratoriums on evictions that are you know should be expiring in this upcoming month. Uh, but the just general philosophy of don't pay, we'll figure it out down the road. I think we have to be smarter than that. I think uh, as the city, the government, there has to be a solution to these hard problems, how we help out restaurants, how we um, uh, help tenants and landlords. I mean, landlords just not getting paid rent. It's They've got to pay water. They got to pay utilities. They got to pay electricity and property taxes and upkeep. And so um, that's something that I think we need to be more mindful of going forward. Right. There is no moratorium on real estate tax. There is no moratorium on the heat and the water bill. So while we understand we want to be compassionate of those that truly cannot work, there also has to be a balance that the city should think about on the other side where real estate is at the end of the day is not a charity. It is someone's savings account too, or it's somebody's, it, it puts table on families. Uh, it, put, it puts food on the table for certain families and, and not every real estate landlord is a wealthy landlord. They may also have a mortgage. They also have financial obligations, other financial obligations. So that's definitely an interesting trend that you point out. It is a bad trend. It's a little bit different when there is a moratorium on, I think, student loans, which the debt is backed by the government, right? It's um, Sally May. So, so can the government hold off on another six months on student loans for those students that cannot pay? Well, sure, because it's not like the government is also uh, obligated to pay another third party uh, by holding on to that debt. So it's an interesting uh, concept that I think should be really revisited. Uh, maybe yeah. by a new administration, maybe Eric Adams is, is somebody that will come in and, and step up and uh, maybe potentially help a little bit of the, you know, those New York City landlords that are struggling.
quick thing. What did you learn in 2021? What did I learn? Probably. <laughs> uh, what I learned in 2021, you very, very rarely do you see the same issue twice in the exact same way, right? A lot of the issues and difficulties that I faced early on in my career um, helped me get through the pandemic. So if I could just kind of as general advice is uh, learn from mistakes that you make early on because, or things that you learn, issues that you work through because they're going to help you in the future. So any issues that you're learning during this pandemic, there's going to be another pandemic, maybe not in the same way, but you're going to have to use that in order to to, uh, to get by in the future, I think. Whatever the pandemic of the future will be 10 years from now, 15 years from now, a lot of the lessons we're learning today are going to be used then. And now as a business owner yourself, as a CEO, what have you? what's one thing that you learned as a business owner, 2021? First-time business owner. When you own your own, when you own your own practice, it's like – it falls on, it's always on you. There's nobody else to say, hey, listen, this is the problem that we're experiencing. You're, you've got to figure it out or another department figures it out. When you work for yourself, it's on you. You've got to dig yourself out of any issue. You've got to work out problems. You've got to find solutions for your clients. Because at the end of the day, you know, that's that's the name of the game. We're trying to provide the best ser client services we can for our clients. It falls entirely on you. Um, and it's, there's, there's, it's incredibly rewarding when you get a client who at the end of the day looks at you and says, thank you so much. You helped me out of this problem, this dispute, this real estate transaction that was quirky. It's great. Um, it's all on you. Yeah. What's one advice you can give to other attorneys that may look to start their own practice? Do as much, you can never be, I always, I've had this question before. I would say never be, you can never be over-prepared. Um, when I, when I went on my own, I did a lot of research and digging and, and as much as I did, you could always still do more. So if you're going to go on your own, do as much homework as you possibly can. You can never be overprepared. You can always have better forms. You can always have a better file management system. You can always have better relationships with vendors. You can always have more templates. Just be as prepared as you can. So when the time, so when the time comes, you hit the ground running. And it's still not enough. Not enough. <laughs> this is nature yeah, of the business. Uh, will you be hiring in 2022? I hope so. I hope so. Okay. If the market continue, if the if the market continues the way it's going, I hope so. Yeah, it's tough. It's there's you know like like there's a lot of labor shortage. There's not a lot of you know uh, the market's so hot that there's not a huge inventory of of people candidates. Well, what do you what do you think about the graduating class of 2022? The the those lawyers that are coming out of uh, Brooklyn Law or New York Law or you know the Columbia Law, the local new ca uh, human capital that's coming out in New York City. Maybe someone that's listening on this uh, to this episode may hopefully reach out to you and ask them, ask you some questions. Maybe sit down for a coffee. Who knows? My yeah, my advice to them would be buckle up. <laughs> <laughs> buckle Andrew, up. thank you very much. Happy New Year. We will certainly be doing dozens of other deals next year, and hopefully, it, this next year will be as strong as what we had this year. I appreciate you. I appreciate Team Yamaguchi. I appreciate all the deals we do, the relationship, and I can't wait for 2022. Let's do it. Keep chopping Let's do wood. It. All right. Keep chopping wood. Thank you, Andrew. Talk to you soon. You got it. All right. Take care. Bye-bye.